Are you ready? Steady. Welcome to Startline. Every journey is different, but they all start with Startline. We're here to edutain you about the world of dog agility. The sport has changed rapidly in just the few years we have been a part of it. Join us as we discuss our journeys, share our successes, laughs, and failures. We will be joined by special guests, and our hope is for you to help us grow the sport we love. Episode 2. Go! Hey, it's Michelle. And Kara. And this episode is about our novice A stories. Our novice A dogs. Aren't they the bestest? They're the bestest! They're the best. They deal with so much and put up with so much (laughs) as we learn the wonderful sport with them. And they really don't ask for much in return. They don't. And what's surprising is I would like to see, I'm curious. Well, first off, before we go down that rabbit hole, the curiosity, let's describe what a novice A dog is because some of our listeners may be novice A people themselves. So typically we're referring to a term in the AKC where a novice A dog means that it is your very first dog in agility where you have not placed a title. You have not gotten a novice title, an open title, an excellent. It is your very first agility dog. Um, The second that you have earned a title and you bring another dog into the sport, that is considered your novice B. Only we don't really call them novice B. They then become your second, third, and I lost count dog. So, just to clarify what novice A means. Now, back to the curiosity. I am very curious to see how much more different my novice A dog, Debbie, would be if I got her now. That's an interesting thought. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I wonder that all the time with Riley. If I knew now how to train Debbie. I I don't know about you because we're going to go into our stories, but I'm a little embarrassed about what poor Debbie's training was. Not not nothing on my trainers. My trainers were wonderful. There was so much I didn't understand and didn't know how to put together that I do now that I wake up every day in awe that this dog is as good as she is. What about She's you? She's pretty incredible. She's incredible. <laughs> yeah, you know, I... Uh... I wonder the same thing all the time with Riley. I mean, Riley is just, I mean, as I go through my story, you guys will hear, but Riley is, she is my one in a million. And I can only just imagine how much further along we could have been had she been my dog, my later on agility dog, my second or third or whatever, because she's just, I mean, she is so awesome. And there are so many things that we could have done you know, foundation wise and, you know, foundations, you know, she's nine and a half now. So foundations, you know, what, eight years ago were so different than what foundations are now. Oh yeah. But, but still it's just, yeah, I wonder all the time. Well, the funny thing is the peculiar thing is I now have two more novice B dogs and they had a better foundation, particularly I will give, I will give Phoenix credit for her foundation I took a lot of not a lot but I took some puppy foundation seminars which I never did with Debbie Debbie I just kept going to class once a week and um, Amanda Shine properly labeled Phoenix a thinker and unfortunately I think she's too much of a thinker and so while her skills are pretty sharp um, her confidence lacks and it's almost because 
She gets out there and thinks, hmm, is this a trial? There's a bit more stress. And what I find fascinating, and still I go to the line and I get nerves. Sometimes they're very mild. Sometimes it'll be for some premiere run that means absolutely nothing, but I'm going to have fun with my dog and I get those horrible butterflies in my stomach. With Phoenix, I don't get that. So when Debbie would stress, because she did in the beginning, we definitely went through some stress issues and she still does. If I mess up, everybody will laugh because she'll sneeze. Um, But Phoenix goes in there nervous and I'm sad because I don't feel like I'm putting those nerves on her. And so it's amazing to know how 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 much stress I put on Debbie in the beginning. For example, we had a serious weave pull issue and it wasn't because she couldn't do them. She did not. It wasn't because she did not have obstacle commitment. It was because I got icky around the weave poles and it took me a long time to figure that out. So I just, I think it's interesting now that I'm a few dogs deep into my journey. And despite having increased knowledge about foundations and how to, you know, treat my next dog, my next dog had a great foundational beginning, but now we have some confidence issues. Yeah, you know, that, that brings, brings up a great point because I almost uh, was serious. He's He goes through some stress issues, maybe not to the same extent, but he, he definitely tries to be right. He wants to be right. He wants to please. And when I make a mistake, if, if I let him, if I let it be known that there was a mistake made by me, he thinks it's on him and he will slow down and he does have those similar, you know, confidence issues. And I almost wonder if, if now that we know more, we almost put more pressure on our future dogs is because we've put a little bit more training into them. You know, we've, you know, novice A, it's like you kind of learn as you go. I mean, you learn as you go with all your dogs. There's always something that they're going to teach us. But, you know, I always wonder, like, because we know so much more I, now that we did, I wonder almost if that I would, if that I, contributes. I would agree to that because... I want Phoenix to just be happy and do well. And maybe because that want, that desire, that pressure is placed upon her because she's definitely different in class than she is in training, in trials. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely, I definitely think that's, that's a piece of it. Um, but just kind of going back to the novice A dog, because I think we could spend a whole nother episode on our novice B, C, D, E, F dogs. Yeah. <laughs> I, yep. I do I do think it's interesting to look back on my journey. I have a little sticky note here with um, some of the things. And one of it says is no shoot. And that's something <laughs> in the training facility where I started, they rarely brought the shoot out. I don't know if it was just, I mean, who wants to fluff that thing? For those of you that don't remember or know what we're talking about, the shoot was a half barrel, um, hard plastic barrel, and it had a nylon fabric shoot coming off of it. Michelle, do you remember how long the AKC one was? I think it was six feet, and the USDAA feet. was 12 feet, if yeah, I remember there, correctly. Yeah, there was one longer. Anyways, the dog, you know, it's essentially a flat piece of fabric on the ground, and the dog had to go into this plastic tube shoot thing and then go into this nylon thing. And so Debbie hadn't seen many of them, and it was the second-to-last obstacle at my very, very first trial. And Debbie went into it, and she kind of got – stuck in there she's she was confident but she was like I don't really know and so the entire crowd cheered her out and that was the moment that sealed my fate in agility because I came from other sports confirmation where (laughs) 
if you're doing well, people aren't necessarily as nice to you. And so I was surprised, unbelievably pleasantly surprised, to be cheered out by fellow competitors. And my dog comes out of the chute, we go over the jump, and it was a perfect clean run for our first novice run. And that, that I day one, absolutely, 100% hooked. And then, of course, novice classes are smaller, so you typically tend to get a lot of first place ribbons, and that really just keeps you going. And that, that just kept me going. But that's one of the things that I remember so distinctly as such a pivotal point in my agility addiction, I would say that was the, that was the day the needle went in the arm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our, our agility community is pretty incredible. Yeah. They I are. think, I think we could hold, go on another whole episode about just the agility community alone and Which how supportive everybody is. <laughs> Which we will. Um, yeah. It's, um, yeah, the shoot, the shoot was something. It was one of my favorite jobs, so I have to say. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Wait, okay, definitely disagree. Well, next to one. leash running because it – next to leash running because it got me up after every dog. Oh, yeah, but it got real tiring after dog 10 when you're in a 70-dog yeah. class. Yeah, that's true. So you had to fluff it each time because the fabric would – you know, lay over itself. And so one of the dangers and why it was removed is if the fabric wasn't laying correctly, the dog could step on it, cause neck injuries, it could get stuck, everything you can imagine is why yeah, it's gone. And even, and even when it was set properly, there was still neck injuries that were happening. I have I have a, actually a picture that a professional photographer took of Riley coming out of the USDAA shoot because she does a lot of AKC. We don't do USDAA a lot. So when she went into USDAA and saw that, that twice as long shoot, she wasn't quite expecting it. And you can see, I have a picture of her with her neck kind of twisted when she was coming out. And it, it was definitely a wise decision, I think, on the organizations to remove that, for sure, especially as the dogs got faster. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's It was a dangerous obstacle, unlike something that takes a lot of time to deal with, but is less dangerous. Table. <laughs> table. The table. We'll talk about the table another time. Get rid of the table. <laughs> 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 so yeah, right, what, so, well, I was yeah, just not, gonna ask you, what was your like? What brought you? What made you go to an agility class? What? How'd you get into agility? Why'd you go to an agility class with Riley? Or did you? I mean, uh, obviously, obviously so you made it there. I did. So I mean, what got me into agility is, you know, I honestly i I don't remember what it was that said, "Oh my God, that's what I want to do." I used to watch dog shows and I always wanted my own dog to train and do stuff with. And I think I just kind of stumbled upon agility and I was like, yeah, this is cool. Obstacle course. That looks awesome. And, uh, I got my, my first dog is Max, my Jack Russell Terrier. And you can do a whole nother episode on him and all his behavioral issues, but he developed a lot of behavioral issues, which meant that he could not do agility like we had planned. Um, so I said, my next dog is going to be my agility dog. And I did a lot of research. I learned what what to look for in a dog and what kind of personality matched mine. And came, upos- came across the Tollers, the Nova Scotia Duck Tolling Retriever. Nova Scotia Duck <laughs> Tolling Retriever. I can't. I'm sorry. I can't. I can't. I can't. Oh, my God. <laughs> sorry. That's from one of our judges and gate extraordinaires, Elliot Kaplan. He is very good about emphasizing the breeds we are running 
and making he makes it he makes it fun he makes it hey, it's a great time you know what you can hear him from we have this wonderful facility where it's it's terraced or not terraced um is that the right word for it yes it's terraced what do you call that above section upstairs a balcony yes thank you there's a balcony <laughs> I don't know. Tara sounded prettier. Anyways, there's a balcony. And so you can hear you can. Anyways, we'll have to record him saying that. But he especially loves to say the Nova Scotia Ductolium Retriever because it is it has to be the longest breed or one of the instead of a PVGB, VVGB, BBBB. It's one of those. I think even tollers are longer than that. Yeah. So, and you know, I always say when you have the drop down menu to pick your breed, the reason it's so wide is because of the tollers. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so then I then I got Riley while I was in college, and I uh, I got her as my agility dog, and we started classes where a friend of mine was taking classes that I worked with, and she was doing agility. She was actually training her novice A dog, and a couple years before I started, so it was kind of cool. I worked with somebody, found somebody who was doing agility, who had a great facility that she went to. So I had that connection. We started taking classes, um, and you know, it was it was pretty much from from the word go. Like from class one, I was hooked absolutely. Once I actually started doing it, um, yeah, it's it's been an addiction ever since, and I think it'll just be that's that's kind of life now. <laughs> I work hard so my dogs can have a better life. Oh yeah, well, we're on video, but. Boom! You guys can't see it, but I have a sign—one <laughs> of those wooden says, signs that it says exactly what Michelle just said. So yeah, my I journey, have... my journey's a little bit different. Um, I I was into boxers for probably three or four years at this point. Oh no, I'm sorry. I was into boxers for like ten ten years at this point. And um, we had these good friends that we had actually met at a doggy inn up in New Hampshire. And they had Australian Shepherds. And she was doing this agility class that she liked. She never competed. She just enjoyed going to this agility class. And so she said, you know, because every time she walked in my door, my dogs may or may not have jumped all over her. She said, oh, your dogs are pretty jumpy. Um, Have you ever tried? (laughs) Have you? Sorry, my husband just came in here. I texted him for more wine. And he came in here with a mater. Oh, I texted Dale for food. Behind every good podcast is a good support system. <laughs> so anyways, my friend with the Aussies was doing this class and she kindly, in a kind way, was saying, your dogs jump all over me. Maybe you should do something constructive with them. So I went to, you know, I went to the class that she was going to because we happened to live in similar areas. But it was, it did happen to be the closest one to my house because, you know, the closest one to your house isn't necessarily the the idea one, but you wouldn't know that as a novice. So just go wherever you're going to go. So I showed up to class and I found it fascinating, but a little bit slow, but exhausting because we did something new to me, um, which was station work. And that's now something that I do in all my classes where you're all out on the floor at the same time. And so we rotate through tippy boards and going over bumps between stanchions and weave poles. You know, they were just teaching us how to do two by twos. And Debbie started just to master every little station that we'd go on. And I felt pretty cool. And I, I honestly was like, I'm not a genius trainer. I actually still to this day, although I'm a certified trainer, still feel like I have so much more to learn and there's so many better trainers than me. But I just feel like I had a really good dog. She was just getting it. 
to the point where we'd be handed a handout every single week. Go do your homework. I, terrible at homework. I never did homework. I just never did homework. Um, and I know oh, all the yeah. tricks, you know, using a broom between two chairs lightly placed. So if the dog trips and it falls, it's safe. And um, using your steps for your two on two offs and practicing front crosses and rear crosses on the flat. All I was, I was educated by the best. I did none of it. Um, and I just, Debbie just caught on. Um, you know, things that I know now, she's probably weaving a little too early. Um, but knock on wood, six and a half, we seem to be okay. I do a lot of fitness with her. Um, Ilioso as injuries are my biggest fear, but, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, that's kind of, I just, I think I got addicted because she started to do so well. And yeah. that's kind of just where things happened. But we had, we had an incident. Um, the instructor that I started with, we changed instructors and this has nothing to do with the instructor, but for some reason or another, the chain on the seesaw broke as she was going over it. And the whole thing collapsed underneath her. And that current instructor, which was not my original instructor, said to me, oh, you're going to have a huge problem. This is going to be months, if not years. I don't know if you'll ever be able to trial her. She'll never get over this. This is really scary for most dogs. So I went home that night like, what? Petrified. Literally petrified that my dog would never do agility again. I was like sent home. She, you know, she was fine. We checked her over. She, I don't think she blinked. So I think the next day or very soon, I remember it was Veterans Day in November because I drove to the first class when there was no traffic and learned the very difficult way that a six o'clock class means you need to leave an hour earlier than you think you need to leave. Yep. <laughs> but so I made it to my Veterans Day class with no traffic and I showed right up and I told the new instructor at the new facility what had happened. She said, throw her over the, let's put her on the seesaw. And she was right beside me. Debbie was a little tentative. Did it a couple times. No problem. So that and Debbie also, um, she has a food issue. I know. <laughs> <laughs> to put it, to put it lightly. Um, I know most dogs live and die for food. Debbie takes it to the extreme. Um, so this previous facility used to get food deliveries and then have puppy classes, all the typical things you would have at a training facility. And her nose would constantly be on the ground, which is a displacement behavior. And by that, we mean when a dog is nervous, stressed, bored, disconnected from you, they tend to displace behaviors and put their nose on the ground and do something else that is more rewarding to them. Um, Mm -hmm. Uh, that could be a whole nother episode. Yeah, yeah. So when we're confusing to our dog or unclear or we make a mistake and they feel like it's them, they may displace by sniffing. So I was told that Debbie sniffing was displacement behavior. And while I didn't know too much about displacement behavior, I did my research and found out it's, you know, typically from nerves or being uncomfortable. And there was nothing about her body language that was saying that. I'd worked with dogs at this point for probably, I don't know, 13, 14 years in a dog walking company. So I went to this other training facility and she displayed the same behavior over a pile of food and that trainer aptly diagnosed her with a leave it problem. And that's exactly what Debbie has is a leave it <laughs> problem. <laughs> Does she displace when she's nervous? Oh yeah, she did it in finals at invitationals. Um, but was that behavior she was displaying at that moment displacement behavior? No. It was, ooh, new place, yummy goodies. So, um, yeah, my novice experience, my, my beginning classes are very clear to me. All the stuff in between, I don't remember how we got from point A to point B. I know I registered for an advanced class, but I had no right being in there. I was still mm-hmm. very novice. 
but um you know trainer gave me a chance and and here i am so awesome yeah i think trainers have a big impact on your novice days and you don't realize it until later i would have no yeah. comparison um until later so in a good in, in you know there's not just negative but certainly in a good way too um one of my trainers from day one running contacts were kind of becoming a big thing probably six or seven years ago when she recommended them to me because and i think physically rightfully so yeah uh, because my dog is very you know chest heavy most dogs carry 65 percent of their weight in their chest my is a boxer she's very barrel chested she carries a lot in her chest i think the advice to do running contacts was correct I don't believe, and I will put this all on myself too, I don't believe I was taught or bothered to learn running contacts correctly. Again, a whole nother episode, but because they were suggested to me literally from day one, I have I have stuck with them. Yeah. Does, well, you know, when you're a novice, hey, what's criteria? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's a very good point. That's, yeah, a, no, I, that's a good point. So... In your opinion, as a novice agility handler, what would you say are some of the first criteria you learn to ask of your dog? Are you saying back when? Back when. I mean, you can say now, too. I mean, let's just discuss during our journeys, you know, what did you think was so important then versus what you know is so important now? Well, I'll be honest. Um my impression of an agility dog was excitement, drive, go get her, keep doing it, yeah, never stop. So um, I never taught Riley any sort of obedience. And, uh, you know, that, that has, uh, has definitely impacted things for us with no start line. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and, and I think, you know, some impulse control and, and all of that, I think when I was first learning, a lot of it was build up on the obstacles, jump commitment and do the seesaw and, you know, building up and do the weaves. It was very, very obstacle focused. Um, and I, I didn't, I started with like a puppy agility class when she was like nine or 10 months old. And it was just, you know, your, your typical puppy class, go through obstacles, this and that. But I never, I did a couple like, you know, big retail pet classes and stuff I never did anything specific for her when she was younger so she had the basic sit you know not a stay um but you had you know, a start line at some point didn't you or you still you have a start line uh, in training oh yeah I can I can lead all the way across the room in training um well the start line uh the start line I had it for about probably till open and then uh and then I started losing it and, uh, I mean, I think the start line issue, it ultimately came to stress. Um, and I'll kind of talk about that a little bit when we go through our little journey together and it ends up being a great decision for us. But, um, I definitely think I was more focused on just doing the obstacles and doing agility than I was about all the foundation behaviors. And I mean, now Obviously, we know so different, and I mean, just look at Snitch. She's 11 months old, and I mean, the girl has an amazing foundation compared to what Riley had. So, what about you? Um, 
I would say my criteria when I was novice learning in class was to do the obstacles. And I know that sounds very basic because now I'm like, okay, well, if I'm turning right, I want Debbie to know to take the jump with a hard turn to the right stanchion. Um, so I would say, you know, mastering the weaves. I didn't have to worry about running contacts because she actually naturally ran down into them. It was not until we got until trials where she got super high and she would bounce off the obstacles. Um, so, yeah, I would say my criteria as a novice A handler was do the obstacles in order. And I can't tell you how many times I would. I think it's interesting to watch your journey travel from because you don't know any better, you think it's the dog, to oh, yeah. because you know so much, you know it's you. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a big learning curve for me. When Debbie would run off and take a wrong course, I'd be like, why'd you do that? My, you know, my, oh, yeah. my naughty dog doesn't know to stay on course. And I was like, because you were completely open and asking for it? So I think that, I accused Riley of tunnel sucking for a long time. Yeah. I think that part is where I w- would like to say I matured in my agility journey. And that's where I really lost my novice A shell when I started to really understand this is 100% my handling. This is 100% my responsibility. I must communicate clear lines to my dog. And if I don't, that's where mistakes happen. And if she pops the poles, it's because I'm stressy and weird. And if she blows the contact, it's because, well, you never really taught them to her. She just, <laughs> she ran down them in class and you gave her a cookie every now and again. But what, what is the criteria to my dog? So I'll tell you how mm-hmm. that's impacted me now. I teach foundation classes and we spent a whole heck of a lot of time on those weed poles and we spent a whole heck of a lot of time on those contacts. And do I teach them running contacts? No. Do I tell them about them? Yes. But I, because there's so many different ways you can teach a contact, I believe Mm -hmm. I go back to the tried and true, two on, two off. It's an easy black and white behavior to get. And by that I mean they've got their butt feet on the obstacle and they've got their front feet off the obstacle. And it's black and white. It's so clear. Get in this position at the bottom of all of these obstacles and you will get your cookie. Yeah. How they want to train from there on out, if they want to do running contacts, if they want to do quick releases, we can get there. But I made a promise to all of my students based off of my trials and tribulations that they will have a two-on-two-off in their toolbox. And half of them don't even know that they, it's not that they don't have a choice. I educate them about the different versions of contacts, but they are getting that education because of my lack of that. Again, I'm still very grateful to that instructor that told me about running contacts, but because I did it, I wasn't informed on how to teach them well during the foundations phase. Yeah. I always make certain mine have two on, two off my students. Well, and things have also changed so much too. I mean, like you said, running contacts were barely a thing back then. It was kind of like, you know, a couple people did them. Most of the time it was two on, two off. And then, as the sport progressed and the dogs got faster and people wanted to build more speed, then running contact started to become a little bit more popular. Um, they're definitely seen differently now than they were then, for sure. Oh, yeah. Now you go to a class, you start a new class, you go to a seminar, and the first thing out of the instructor's mouth is, do you have a running A-frame? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what's your A-frame? 
You're like, oh, yep. okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, you know, just kind of wrap this up, but I just think that the, the journey with my novice A dog has been nothing but a miracle is how I would describe it. Um, she will break a lot of records within her breed that my two other dogs who I love dearly and are well-trained and I'm proud of just won't. Yeah. And some of that has to do with just the dogs that they are. Um, which is funny because I bred Debbie to make more Debbies and I got little versions of her. Michelle has <laughs> a little version of her in her house. A little gilly. A little gilly. But they're, they're just, they're not Debbie, which is fine because the world, you know, you need, you need different challenges, but yeah, if I could write the world all over again, I definitely put a few more Debbies in it. Yeah. You know, I've, uh, we, me and Riley have gone through a lot of our ups and downs in our relationship together. Um, I mean, Riley is, like I said, she's nine and a half and she hasn't slowed down a beat. That girl can, can still win her class. She can beat border collies. She is an incredible, incredible dog. And like I said, I think I can only imagine how much further along we would be together if she wasn't my first dog to do agility with, because she is just so naturally talented and unbelievable. And, and, and the thing is, is like with Tollers, they're, they're all very versatile breed. Um, they're, they're, you know, it's, you see some that are really driving, you see some that aren't, you know, and there's things you can do about it. But, you know, I wasn't, I went for convenience when I got Riley, I went to a breeder that was closest to me. That didn't mean I needed to travel. And I got this absolutely incredible dog and I, and I had wished that I could make more of her, um, but I can't, but I mean, we have gone through so many issues, um, like our criteria and our start line issues. We started with the start line. Now we have a slingshot and she is, like I said, she is incredibly fast and that was a whole new learning curve for me. I went from having a start line and being ahead of her initially to, oh my God, I got to let go of this thing and just drop and run. And if you've ever seen her at the start line, I'm holding on to her collar for dear life. I'm surprised <laughs> you haven't had any hamstring injuries. Right? Because <laughs> I can walk out and take my good old time and I'm all injured. But you were like, like a rubber band. Poof. <laughs> and she is she's and she's exactly like that because she just she just wants to go and you know and I like I said I didn't teach much obedience stuff with her so I I very much promoted the go 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 and that's what I have and you know it has its it has its pros and its cons and you know it took us it took us six years from literally it was actually quite cool it was to the day six years from our very first trial together which was Probably not my best decision to do that as our first trial. It was a three ring outdoor trial. Just guys, don't use that as your first trial ever, <laughs> please. <laughs> Especially with your novice A dog that has never been to a trial, has never seen a trial before in her life. Just don't do that. Um, it doesn't go well. So our first, our first trial was not as successful, um, but it was also a very big learning opportunity. So anyway, it took us six years from literally from the day of our first trial to our very first mock. And it was a very hard, hard working six years to get our mock 
because we are fast, but we are not consistent. Um, you know, but, but she's, she's an incredible dog. She has taught me so much. It's just, I mean, I really, it's, she's, she's my one in a million. I mean, she's, we went to our very first specialty, our breed specialty together, and we won high in trial there. And I am so proud of her for doing that. We went to nationals um, last year in Tulsa, and my goal with her was to get just a qualifying score, and we got that. And, you know, we have we have our struggles, and we went through the challenge process of measuring because she measured a little high at first. I mean, there were, there were so many things that we have gone through together that she has taught me that we have learned together that it's just... You don't get another novice A dog. They're just, they're your one and only. (laughs) That's, that's a good way to end and just a good point to make. You don't get another novice A dog. Only get one. Oh, I'm going to get all teary. (laughs) Right? I know. I know. Especially Uh, Riley's Riley's nine and a half. And I don't even want to think about when she turns 10. We're not going to talk about that. But for any of you out there, any of our listeners, I hope we have some that haven't started agility yet that are interested in it. Or if you're listening to this, you know. I don't know, in the past or in the future, (laughs) however that works. Um, Yes, please cherish, love every minute with that novice dog because they absolutely are a very special beast. Absolutely. They just, they teach us so much and we learn together with them. It's just, you only, yeah, you only go through that novice A journey once right right it's you only learn with them together once the whole process i'm a little (laughs) sad and and now that you you really clarified that picture for me because with phoenix i have so many phoenixes a debbie daughter um i have so many aspirations for her and she's so wonderful in training and she's had decent foundation i know more now than i did you know four years ago with her but um i have the pressure because i want her to perform where debbie never had that pressure Debbie had horrible other pressure, nerves, and me not knowing what I'm doing. But almost the not knowing what you're doing is a lot easier than knowing what you want your dog to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you're just, you kind of, I mean, you're nervous as, you know, you're you're nervous. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go in there like feeling like you're going to vomit mm-hmm. the first time you go in there. And it's, and you're in your head going like, my God, it's just, it's just a little dog show. Like It's just a ribbon. <laughs> it's just a little a little green ribbon and maybe a rosette that you get, but you know, it's, it's, you really, you feel like you're going to vomit. You get so nervous. The dogs realize we're being different, but, but yeah, I think just that, that expectation is so much lower with your first dog because you're just like, I want a cue. I just want that little green cue ribbon. And then you start to learn more and then you're like, okay, well now I want to do X. I want to go to nationals. I want to, you know, get the mock before they're, you know, three or four years old or something. But you don't have that with your novice A dog because you don't know what to expect. You go in, you have this dog, you're running with them. Things are a little different in in trial than they were in class. You didn't expect, you know, the the zoomies, (laughs) um, which goes back to why you shouldn't do a three-ring outdoor trial as your first trial. Um, (laughs) Because your dog is totally different. It's not the same dog. You're not the same person to them. Things are so different. And yeah, the expectation is totally different. And, you know, you just, you you literally, I think you just start to put some pressure that it's a different type of pressure, I guess. And you put maybe a little bit more pressure on the dog and less on yourself, maybe. I don't know. But definitely. And, and, you know, it's, it's hard because when I was learning with Sirius, who's my second agility dog, um, I very, very frequently found myself comparing 
him to Riley. And I don't know if you went through something similar when you were training Phoenix and Walter where you just, you just, I mean, all you know is like for me, all I know is Riley. And even when I'm handling him, I still sometimes get confused about which dog I'm running because oh, they're totally I, different dogs. But I do it. All yeah, the time. I just I had so many expectations from him that I had from Riley because like Riley's a one in a million. She she almost came pre-programmed to me like a like a border collie did. Um, but yeah, it's just I think it's a whole different set of pressure. Pressure agreed. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we should wrap this up for the evening. Um, you know, please, eventually, at some point, we'll have a following. So subscribe to us. <laughs> we'll get to say all that fun stuff in the outro. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, you want to hear more. If you want to hear more, tune in to something that we're going to figure out. But anyways, um, yeah, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll be back with you guys soon. We'll talk to you next Thanks so much for listening this week, guys. And just so everybody knows, we are currently shopping for any sponsors. So if you like what you have heard so far, Michelle and I would love to keep this going. Um, And while we certainly have some free time during the COVID-19 pandemic that we are in right now, as things start to ramp back up when we get back to normal and we start trialing, we're going to need some more time and energy to put into this. And we would love sponsorship. So... Please reach out to us at startlinepod at gmail.com if you have any interest in sponsoring. We look forward to bringing you more episodes and we hope you guys are liking this. Thanks so much. Have a good one.